A good evening to all of my wonderful listeners, and welcome to episode two of the Historian Weekly Podcast, the forum where we come to discuss the history behind current events and look at them through a modern magnifying glass. In this week's episode, Donald Trump has just decided to withdraw from one of the most controversial agreements in the modern age. I'm talking about the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, better known to you and I as the Iran nuclear deal. So let's look at Iran itself. How did it transform from a Western-oriented monarchy into a fundamentalist Islamic Republic? I'm Yaniv Mazin, history fanatic recording once again from London in the United Kingdom, so join me to find out. Oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen, let's make some history. Iran, a country which for centuries was one of the greatest powers in the ancient world, home to kings and emperors such as Xerxes I and Cyrus the Great, the birthplace of Zoroastrianism, and the predominant Shia Muslim power, it cemented itself even back then as one of the most influential civilizations of all time. Recently, though, the state which we now call Iran has gone through a huge amount of turmoil, foreign intervention, and a fundamental shift in society. Let's find out exactly what happened here. The Iranian monarchy ruled almost uninterrupted from 1501 until the Islamic Revolution in 1979, with the Shah, or king, being the sole head of state. From 1925, Iran's Qajar dynasty was overthrown by Reza Pahlavi, who then crowned himself Shah of Iran, starting the Pahlavi dynasty, which is the one we're going to focus on because they pretty much ruined the monarchy and got rid of it forever. Reza Shah attempted to modernize the country. After seeing the progress of Western countries, he wanted also to bring Iranians to the same level. He brought in Western-style schools, hospitals, roads, and even introduced the telephone. However, many in Iran, especially the ultra-conservative Muslim clerics, thought that he was doing this too quickly. For example, he introduced a lot of regulations which completely alienated anybody who was a conservative Muslim. For example, mosques had to use chairs instead of praying on the floor. Women were encouraged to get rid of the hijab completely and were allowed to congregate freely with men. This violated the Islamic rule of separating the sexes and this pretty much drove the Muslim clerics absolutely up the wall. Because here was a man who just crowned himself to them illegitimately as Shah of Iran, and he's completely getting rid of all of these Islamic rules that the, that the uh, Iranian dynasty of, of the past were built on. All of this caused an uprising in 1935 at the Imam Reza Shrine, where dozens were killed and hundreds were injured. They had enough of the modernization that Reza Shah was trying to do, and they were trying to tell him, hey, whoa, slow down here, you're going way too quickly. Reza Shah, of course, ignored them. Now, obviously, we can't talk about any country without foreign intervention by Europeans, right? Almost every country in the Middle East suffered this, and Iran is definitely no different. But they suffered differently to the rest of the countries in the Middle East. In 1941, German Nazi interests were very, very prominent, with the Germans staging a coup in an attempt to overthrow the, British, the pro-British Pahlavi dynasty. With the German armies at that time very highly successful in Russia, the Iranian government wanted Germany to win the war and establish a powerful force on the Iranian borders in order to stave off the uh, mandate of British Iraq and the French in Lebanon. In response to this, the Allies invaded Iran in 1941 and easily overwhelmed the weak and disorganized Iranian army. 
Iran actually became a major force in the help to the Soviet Union by the Allies because the Allies have just secured Iran's massive oil fields, which they used to provide fuel to the Soviet Union in order to fight the Nazis. During this time, Reza Shah, who was seen as weak by the Allies, was actually deposed by the Allies and was replaced by his son, Mohammad Reza Shah. Now, Mohammad Reza Shah was hugely significant in Iranian history, not only because he was imposed by a foreign force, but also because he was the one who lost the monarchy in the Islamic Revolution in 1979. But on a side note, when the Soviets actually invaded Iran later on, they didn't withdraw the troops until a year after the war ended in 1946, and they received oil concessions from Iran as compensation. This is because they were fueling communist separatists in northern Iran, and Iran wasn't having it. But they were far too weak to fight the Soviets, so the Soviets only left after they got concessions. Now, let's move on to one of the most significant events in the last hundred years from Iran, and that happened in 1953, where the United States intervened. Now, don't we all love a, a good conspiracy theory, right? But actually, this is a conspiracy theory that turned out to be true. In, 19, in the 1950s, uh, the Shah of Iran took a very hands-off approach to the government. He was powerful, he didn't really need to do anything, and he actually let the Iranian parliament vote in a new prime minister. That prime minister was called Mohammad Mossadegh, and he was really, really popular with the Iranian people. He actually voted to nationalize the, at the time, British-owned Iranian oil fields and oil companies. Now, this was a major red light to the West because that means the Iranians can now decide the price of oil. The Iranians can now decide the export of oil by themselves without any British or American influence. Now, the country that hated it the most was the United States. And what they actually did was they infiltrated Iran, backed the Shah, and caused a coup that removed Mossadegh. The CIA actually admitted later on that they were the ones who instigated it and put the Shah back in power. Now, with American support, the Shah was no longer going to take a hands-off approach from the government. Now that he saw how dangerous people like Mossadegh could be to his rule, he became an autocratic leader and pretty much a dictator. This does not mean that Mohammad Reza Shah was a conservative Muslim. Far from it. He was actually the opposite. He accelerated the programs that his father, Reza Shah, started in terms of modernization. They continued at an unprecedented rate, and Iran became actually a very forward-looking and Western-oriented nation. This also was reflected in its international relations, as they actually formed relationships with Western countries, and more specifically, with Israel. For all of this talk, and, and you could subsequently say praise for Iran's forward-looking and Western-orientedness, economic growth didn't really happen. Uh, the economic conditions for the average Iranian remained kind of the same as when Mossadegh was in power. So the radical Muslims inside of Iran took advantage of this and began to incite against the Shah for getting rid of uh, conservative Muslim ideas while also not actually doing any good for the economy. The main instigator of these riots, and a name that much of us have heard, was Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, the very powerful cleric, ultra-conservative Shia Muslim, and instigator of riots against the Shah, who will ultimately, in 1979, depose the Shah. The Shah, feeling the heat, became very, very scared of the clerics and of leftist separatist groups who were still there and were still causing problems. The premier of Iran was assassinated in 1967, and in response, the Shah 
gave his secret police, the Savak, much more authority to shut down any kind of dissent. He became increasingly autocratic, and he began to strangle the people of Iran. He gave no free press, he didn't allow any criticism of him or his regime, and he began to arrest anybody who was suspected to be hostile. And this is the Middle East, remember. So when I say arrest, arrest means certain death. Meanwhile, on the other side, the radical Muslims headed by Ruhollah Khomeini and uh, the clerics who were underneath him became increasingly loud. Even in mid-1973, when the Arab world was fighting the Yom Kippur War, or the 1973 October War with Israel, even with the fact that the Shah renationalized the oil companies and got a lot of money from it because he, ra he raised prices to spend on defense, even that did not silence Khomeini and the clerics who were against him. The protests, the riots, the strikes kept going until 1978, which was the official beginning of the Islamic Revolution, or the Iranian Revolution, as everybody else knows it. This was the revolution that after 2,000 years, and after almost 400 years of uninterrupted monarchy, transformed the country into an Islamic re republic. Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini led the demonstrations and forced Reza Shah, Mohammed Reza Shah, into exile in January 1979. In December 1979, a new theocratic constitution was declared, whereby Shia Islam was to be the official basis of all law in Iran, and the supreme leader was Ayatollah Khomeini. Khomeini did it. He managed to bring the Shah to his knees, begging Western countries for help. Western countries ignored him because they were still angry at him for raising oil prices in 1973. You might be wondering where the Iranian people are in all of this. A country of over 80 million people, not everybody would support Khomeini, right? Well, the Shah did a lot to alienate them, actually. When he crowned himself Shah and married his wife, he didn't do it in full view of the public in the Iranian capital of Tehran. What he did was he actually went to the tomb of Cyrus the Great, declaring himself not just Shah, but emperor of a new worldwide superpower. And this alienated a lot of Iranians, which made them think that the Shah, even though he was Western and modern and liberal, which they didn't like, uh, they thought that he was inaccessible to the public. He, they thought of him as in the clouds, above everybody else, and autocratic and theocratic. And they went with the next best option. Let's move on now to 1980. It's a year after Khomeini took power. The Iranian uh, regime is actually on the brink. You know, the country is still in turmoil after a revolution at such a huge scale. But another crisis has emerged. Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein attempted to take advantage of all this disorder and the weakness in the Iranian military after being in disarray because they don't know who the leader is. They have no idea. It's Khomeini, but he hasn't actually uh, added any generals yet or reorganized the country. So Iraq invaded Western Iran. Now, this is the uh, Iran-Iraq war, which claimed over a million lives on each side. Iran had to send child soldiers in order to fight because they ran out of normal regular soldiers. And Iraq and Iran both used gas weaponry against each other. The war ended in a stalemate. But it was actually, you could say, a victory for Khomeini because the Iranian people rallied around him being under attack by Iraq. 
They needed a strong man, a Muslim man, and most of all, an Iranian to lead this war. An Iranian from the people, not an emperor. And he did it. And he brought Iraq back to, back to its borders. Even though they didn't actually gain any sufficient military victory, this was a political victory for the Iranian regime and what solidified them until this day. Which, in all fairness, was exactly the opposite of what Saddam Hussein was trying to do. He was trying to depose them, not make them stronger. Since then, with uh, Khomeini leading and Khamenei, Ali Khamenei, the current supreme leader succeeding him, Iran has embarked on a quest to modernize its weapon system. They've begun to make intercontinental ballistic missiles, establish bases in Syria and Lebanon, and also began a nuclear program, which is where we're talking about the agreement here. Because in 2015, the Western powers and Iran, including the United States, signed an agreement which was called the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. This agreement was to curb or limit Iran's nuclear program and to stop them from getting a nuclear bomb. But Donald Trump has decided that the Iranian regime, which has been funding terrorist groups in the, uh, in the Lebanese Shia parts and in Syria, cannot be trusted. And therefore, he pulled out of the agreement very recently, just as recently as last week at the time of this recording. And that leads us to this day. Iran will be crippled by sanctions. Its economy is now uh, uncertain. So the question is, where will this lead next? Will this lead to the end of the Ayatollahs because the people will not want to be strangled economically anymore? Or will this strengthen the Ayatollahs because they see this as a Western attempt at removing another popular regime? Only time will tell. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the second episode of the Historian Weekly Podcast has come to an end. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart for listening and for taking an interest in history, how it affects our modern lives, and how we can improve ourselves as the human race. This conversation may be over, but you can actually continue it on our Historian Facebook page, which is Historian, or at our website, historian.net. This podcast is now on iTunes, so please make sure to share it with your friends or anybody who takes an interest in history. I'm Yaniv Mazin. Have a good week, everybody.